We're continuing our sermon series through the book of Romans today. We called it wrapping our hearts around what's real. The language that scripture uses to describe that concept is worship. Worshiping something, worshiping someone is wrapping your heart around it and saying, I, I want my heart to take the shape of that thing because it's that good for me or that good to me, or at least I'm convinced it's that good, and that's why I'm wrapping my heart around it. Um, and wrapping our hearts around something that isn't really that good or as good for us as we hope it will be is what Scripture means when it talks about idolatry, something that's not real, um, that, that's not going to give us all the joy that we're hoping for, Today we're asking the question, is, is there a reality somewhere in our universe, big enough, strong enough, deep enough to help me navigate relationships where there's a lot of hurt, a lot of hostility, a lot of anger? Is, is there a reality out there that can reshape my identity around something really solid, something that's not going to go away over time? I have a friend who started a ministry to retired professional athletes. He was an NFL player, and he realized what happened when you wrapped your whole heart around this identity of sports, and there would come a day when you had to retire, and you would never step foot on a field again, and nobody would ever, ever talk about you making a play again. Over time, he began to realize that retired military officers went through the same thing and that CEOs who started businesses and then sold them. And it's really this ministry to people who want an identity that's not going to constantly be changing, evolving, pulled, pulled out from under me at some point. Is there a reality in this world that can reshape my identity around something solid that won't go away? The answer is yes. The scripture text we're going to read this morning calls that reality love. It's the love that God pours out through his son, Jesus. Peter's going to come and read to us about that now. Thank you, Peter. Good morning. Our scripture this morning is from Romans chapter 5 beginning at verse 5 and ending at verse 11. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, Shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast 
and God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Thank you, Peter. Let's take a minute and pray. God, some of us in the room have um, heard a lot of lessons from the Bible through our lifetime. We've heard a lot of sermons. We've heard people teach the Bible. And, and so maybe we, we're kind of a little numb to it. Some of us, this is weird. We've not heard many sermons ever. And the idea of somebody standing up and giving this like TED talk, but it's too long. Um, from an ancient book is still something we're getting used to. And some of us are just so happy about something big that's come into our lives that we're having a hard time holding still right now. Lord, would you show up and help us to see your goodness and love no matter where we are on that spectrum of weird or excited or numb. Wake us up. Grab our attention by showing us how amazing your love is. Amen. Um, if you ever have a chance to go to St. Louis, Missouri, um, and you have children with you, and they, they could be any age, three 13, 23, 33, 43, 63, 73. Anybody you know who's a kid at heart, you've got to go to the city museum. It's this amazing place where um, an entrepreneur said, I'm going to recycle everything. I'm going to recycle a seven-story shoe factory and the chute that they used to drop the shoes in to get them from the uh, top floor of the building to the bottom floor, seven floors. We're going to leave it there, and it's going to be a big slide. People will climb the stairs and slide down, get dizzy. And anything anybody wants to throw away, the bank wants to throw away their vault. Well, I want the vault so people can see how the lock works and walk inside. Anything anybody wants to throw away. You want to throw away a school bus, an airplane? Yes, sign me up. And uh, so you get to explore the inside, the school bus, the airplane. And one of the things that they've recycled is this giant uh, water tank. It holds 250, maybe 300 gallons of water. For comparison, your water heater in your house holds 40, maybe 50, maybe 30 gallons. It's enough to flood your whole basement or attic if it, if it ever goes out, Right. And it's tiny compared to the puking pig. That's the name that this thing has been given. It's this giant tank. They've welded parts on the front of it to look like a pig and a snout and ears and its mouth. And every 90 seconds, this pump fills the pig up with water. And it's on this hinge so that as the back end of the pig is filling up, he tips backward. And then as more water goes in, he starts to tip forward, 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 and then Boom, he crashes over and all that water just pours out the pig's mouth into this basin below. And it's so fun to stand next to it and go, what would it be like to stand under that? N nothing about you would remain dry. Like every part of you would be impacted by this. I would probably take some work just to stay on your feet, right? 
We're not talking about a nice little drizzle or trickle. This is 250 gallons of water just crashing down on your head all at once. That's the image that God is giving us here to talk to us about his love. In Romans chapter 5, right? You, you see the image in verse 5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Not a tiny little polite, you know, shot glass pour out. This is a puking pig like going to inundate your entire heart and life and flood everything about you. Jesus is the tank. God pours all of his love into his son, fills him up, and then the son lets love flood out of him onto us. Where's the Holy Spirit fit in here? It's like gravity. That love would never touch us if the Holy Spirit weren't causing what Jesus has done to direct all of the Father's love toward us. That's the main thing God wants to show you and me today is that he has poured out his love into this world through his son. I want us to soak in that for a few minutes. His love and the way he's shown it. And then to see two ways that that love begins to reshape our lives. Let's start here with that reality. God has demonstrated his love. Verse 8 says that. God demonstrated his love by what he did. What did he do? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God demonstrated his love. If you ever wonder, um, is there a God out there who, who loves people like me and you? The way you answer that question is you go straight to the way that, that he demonstrated his love. He gave his son who laid down his life out of love for us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Christ died for us. It's not just what God did, but when he did it, that gets a lot of attention here, right? When did he do it? While we were still in self-seeking mode, back in Romans chapter 2, that's the language used to describe the condition of every human heart. We are self-seekers. We, we tend even to take the most beautiful things in this universe and run them through the grid of, but do I think it's beautiful? But what good is it for me? Um, but, but what would it look like if I could reshape that to be something I'm more comfortable with? That's, humanity has that issue. We are self-seeking. And while we were still in self-seeking mode, God demonstrated his love by sending his son to pour that love out on us. 
right? It's these short verses just say it over and over and over again. Verse six, you see at just the right time when we will, were still powerless, Christ died for people who were ungodly. People who didn't spend our lives saying, I wonder who God is. I wonder what he's like. I wonder if I could know him. I wonder if I could please him. People who are anti-godly. Christ died for the ungodly. Right? Uh, verse 10 puts it even more strongly. God did this while we were still his enemies. The, the word there for enemy means someone who's hostile, someone who's antagonistic. There's a time in my life when God said, I think this is just the right moment for me to love Jimmy because he's so hostile toward me and he hates me so much and, and he doesn't even care to know me. And in fact, he, he kind of wants to get as far away from me as he can because the closer he gets to me, the more uncomfortable he is with kind of deep, dark stuff in his own heart. That's exactly the right moment for me to pour out my love on him. That's not how love usually works, is it? That's not how this normally goes. And the Apostle Paul is no idiot, so he says that. He's like, look, sometimes on very rare occasions, somebody will die for someone who's already a good guy or a good girl. Like, they are righteous. They are the kind of people you want your daughters and sons to grow up and be. And every once in a while, somebody will sacrifice themselves to save someone who's that. Maybe, possibly, they might dare to die. That's how this normally works. That's not what God did. He said, this is just the right time to pour out my love on you. Even though you don't know me, you don't want to know me. You, maybe you think you know me, but what you know is some twisted version of me. I don't care. It's just the right time. It's just the right time. So on Tuesday nights, we gather in our house to talk about how good news about Jesus shows up in good literature. This past week, we're finishing a series going through the Narnia Chronicles by C.S. Lewis. And uh, the last of those seven books is called The Last Battle. There's a character in there named Emmeth. And as you read that last chapter, you, you find out that Emmeth has sent his, spent his entire life seeking another god. In the Narnia books, there's a lion named Aslan who represents Jesus. And uh, Emmett has spent his entire life seeking the competitor God, the, the anti-Aslan. And um, you could say that he was an Aslan antagonist. Now, the story's a little more complicated than that. I won't give too much away. But Emmett knows that. And when he comes face to face with Aslan, something incredible happens. Aslan calls him my child and my beloved. 
And Emmeth is telling this story later to other people, and he says, he describes this as a marvel of marvels, that this great lion, the king of all Narnia, would call me his beloved, even though compared to him, I'm like less than a dog. Now, at this point, all the talking dogs in the story take objection. They start barking, and they're like, you know, we really don't like the metaphor you're using here. And they get totally sidetracked from the main point. The main point is, here is Emma who gets it. He's like, this is not how love usually works. This is not what you would expect. That if I've spent my whole life magnifying the qualities of drinking Pepsi, And the president of Coke shows up and says, I want to hire you. That's not how it normally works. I spent my whole life as a St. Louis Cardinals fan. And the Braves say, we want you to be our marketing expert. That's not how this normally works. I've spent my whole life going against you. And yet you call me your beloved. And it transforms Emmett's life. And at one point he says, It is better to see the lion and die than to be the Tisrock of the whole world and live and not see the lion. When God demonstrates his love for us and he says, when you're the furthest away from me, that is just the right time for me to love you. That kind of love captures our hearts. And it changes us. You see the pattern? It's it's love that leads to joy, that leads to courage. Emmeth hears, I am beloved. And it fills him with so much joy that he says, I now have the courage, if needed, to die. There's so much joy in me at experiencing this kind of love that I could walk away from the whole world. Because this love begins to change me. Do you want to know that kind of love? Do you want to know that kind of joy? Do you want to have that kind of courage? If you've never experienced that kind of love, God says, let's start today. And you might say, but I'm so far away from him. Don't you hear what he's saying? That's just the right time for me to love you. You don't have to wait You can experience that right now. Maybe you have experienced that love in the past, but you've forgotten that it's the marvel of marvels. You've started thinking, well, you know, I'm pretty lovable. No wonder God loves me. (laughs) I mean, I'm pretty awesome. I mean, I surely he wants me on his team. Let this love recapture your heart and, and fill you with joy again. That the Christian life feels like a slog. Maybe, maybe you've lost the joy of standing before God and letting him say, there's nothing more I want in this world than to pour out my love on you. Not just a little bit, but to flood your whole heart and life with love. There's a reason why we have a big phrase outside our sanctuary in the lobby. It says, we want to see people changed by grace. 
when God shows love for people, when they are so far away from him, and he says, yes, that's exactly the right time to love someone. That is grace. And that kind of grace changes us. It reshapes everything. Let's talk about two things that this kind of love reshapes. When God demonstrates his love for us, it reshapes our relationships. Now, you're probably pretty good at math, and I don't have to put all the pieces together for you. But right, if, if, if God is about transforming this world so that he says, when people are the furthest away from me and they have the least interest in me and they could be described as my enemies, that is exactly the right moment to love them. What happens when that reshapes us? We begin to say, you know what? We can love people when they aren't very lovable. I can move towards someone when they are angriest at me. I can move towards someone who may not like me at all, and, and they may not have any appreciation for who I am and the things I stand for. I can love people even when they don't love me. We can demonstrate love for other people even when there's hostility in a relationship because hostility is not the last word. Hostility is not the reality that will change the universe. God's love is. Now, if you've been with us for a few weeks, you've heard already the background that the church in Rome in the first century was divided there's a lot of hostility. There was kind of this first century culture war unfolding within the Christian community. A lot of suspicion. I'm guessing a fair amount of anger and a fair amount of hurt feelings. And so without saying it, God is saying to his people, you know what? You don't have to wait for someone to stop being on the other side of an issue to begin loving them. That's just the right time to love someone. The moment when you think they're least likely to desire your love. Hey, that's exactly when God demonstrated his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are free to, peeve, to, to love people at just the right time, just like that. Um, who is that person for you? Who is that person who may not want to be loved by you right now, but you have been set free to love them? Give it a try. You might say, it's too hard. <laughs> kind of scared. And I'm like, oh, of course. Of course it's too hard. And of course we're scared. Which is why God has to first pour out his love on us to change us. And to fill us with joy and courage. Starts to reshape how we approach relationships. And God demonstrates his love for us. It also reshapes how we think about identity. It would be easy to miss reading these few verses that there is a strong theme of identity here. One of the reasons we miss it is because we don't connect 
our language of identity with the Bible's language of boasting, but they're connected. Verse 11 says, we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And why is that a big deal? Well, okay, people who were God's enemies are now boasting about how good he is. See the change, see the transformation. What does boasting mean? Boasting is simply saying, I want everybody to know the most important thing about me. Went on a backpacking trip once with some daughters, dads, sons, and um, a little girl came along named Sally. She was three or four at the time, I think. And Sally wanted you to know the most important thing about her was my daddy brung granola bars. And so as we were walking, what felt like 10 miles because I was carrying so much stuff, it was probably a mile and a half. Um, Sally keeps piping up every few minutes. My daddy brung granola bars. And like the entire evening, right? Because the, the biggest reality in her world is her dad brought a snack. And at the end of this long walk, we get to eat the snack. That's boasting, right? She wasn't bragging about her. She's boasting about how much her dad loves her. She's saying, this is the most important thing about me. The most important thing about me. What is it? Well, it's that my circumstances are all happy. There's nothing bad or hard happening in my life. That's the most important thing about me. Uh, it's actually not true. It's rarely true of any of us. But we can easily start to let that become our identity. I will be happy when my circumstances are better. My circumstances are all good. And if that's the most important thing about me, it's going to be hard to find joy in this world. Ah, the most important thing about me is I am right and you are wrong. Whatever the issue is, if that's my identity, the most important thing about me is that I'm on the right side of this issue and you're on the wrong side. Well, the most important thing about me is being right. It's going to be hard for me to love you until you come around to my point of view. If you disagree with me, if you see it some way differently than I do, it's going to be hard for me to love you because you won't acknowledge my identity, which is I am right. So if that becomes the core of who I am, the most important thing, it's going to be really hard to love anybody who's not just like me. The most important thing about me is a romantic relationship or the fact that I'm so mature that I don't need to be in a romantic relationship. The most important thing about me is the sex I'm having or not having with whom and how often and what it's like, and how often I get to tell people about it. The most important thing about me is my gender. And who embraces how I think about that? The most important thing about me is my politics. The most important thing about me is that there's a culture war and I am going to be on the winning side of it. And losers like you are on the wrong side because you're too young or too old or whatever. 
Do you see what God is saying to us? That we have a tendency to wrap our hearts around all these things and shape our identity around those things and to say, that's the most important thing about me. When he is saying to us, I want to give you the freedom to say, the most important thing about me is that I am beloved. The most important thing about me is that there's someone in this universe who thought it was worth trading the life of Jesus for me. And that kind of love is never going anywhere. This week I was having a conversation with the dad in our congregation asking the question, how do you comfort your children when they are grieving deep, deep loss? Now, there are a lot of things that could cause you to have that conversation with your kids, right? It, it could be the, the death of a loved one or a friend. It's a breakup, the end of a relationship. It's disappointment. It, whether that's in academics or sports or job or all kinds of heartbreak that our kids experience. And as dads, you want to give comfort to them. Now, the particular conversation we had was like, how do you comfort your adult children when a family pet who's been with you for over a decade dies? You know, a little aside to my own family, um, I'm not going to tell this story because I want to hurt you. <laughs> I want you to see how your daddy is learning to be God's beloved. So as this dad and I were talking, I was taken back to this moment where a few months ago, I'm standing in a hole in our yard, a hole that I've been digging along with my kids and our sweet dog, Hope. being handed to me. I'm standing in the hole. There's so much about that moment that makes you go, I just don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't want my kids to have to go through this. I don't want to have to do this. I know that the death of a dog represents so much more brokenness and hardship in this world and life. And this is not the last time I'm going to have to stand in a hole. When Scripture says Christ died for us, it's telling us that God the Father has said, here, I will put Jesus in the hole so you can come out. If you don't understand enough about Christianity to know why Christ had to die for us or why his death for us accomplished any good, it's okay. Know this much, that God's love means that even when you don't understand that, and maybe you don't want to understand it, he said this is just the right moment for me to make my son go in the hole so you can come out. This is just the right moment to make my son cry the tears so you can come out and experience a happy reunion with your family. 
That's the crucifixion of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is God saying, now I'm going to bring my son out of the hole too. So that one day there will be no more holes. And there will be no more tears. And there will be no more loss. And it will all be celebration and reunion and joy forever. And then while you're waiting for that great day to come, I'm going to fill the Holy Spirit up and cause him to pour out this kind of love on you every day, every moment. So that you can know the most important thing about you is that I have loved you like this. And I will never change my love for you. Do you see how that starts to reshape everything? I don't have to be right. I can love people who think I'm not right. I'm free to love people who don't like me. Whether it's a permanent condition or we're just having a bad day together. I can love people when they're not happy with me. There's going to come a day when nobody will cheer your name when you step on the field again. There's going to come a day when nobody ever wants to hear you preach another sermon. Maybe it's already here. (laughs) There's going to come a day when nobody cares what you think about Jesus or the church. And they're not going to ask you about it anymore. And it's okay, because if that's not your identity, you can let go of it. Because when that day comes, God will still be pouring out his love through the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus. It's an identity that can't be taken away. It won't be changed by the winds of time. It won't be changed by your failure or immaturity. That's that's the offer God is making today. not only to people who already know him and love him, but to people who would say, I don't want anything to do with him. I am opposed to him. I am hostile toward him. What does God say to people like that? It's just the right time to demonstrate my love for you. Christ died for you. 